Bibles tonight and turn to uh, the book of Job once again. The book of Job in chapter number 22 tonight. The book of Job in chapter number 22. We'll begin reading in verse number 21 again. It's good to be back. I had good food this afternoon. Really appreciate that. Not sure who picks your shot glass water cup up here, but uh, uh, I'm not sure what kind of church we're preaching in. All right. Job chapter 22 tonight, that will slow me down just a little bit, and so uh, uh, maybe we'll uh, get done a little bit quicker. Let's all stand, if you would, if you found your spot. Job chapter number 22, we're going to begin reading this evening in verse number 21. Job 22, verse number 21. Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. That's not our text, but it was so close to our text that it's so good, just wanted to read it. If you would acquaint yourself with the Lord, you would get to know Him better, peace would come to us, good would come into our lives. The closer we get to the Lord, the more peace there is. Come on, He's the Prince of Peace. No God, no peace. In O God, no peace. See, Brother Tim, you're already slowing me down. It's not good. Verse number 22, Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thy heart. Listen to what God has to say. Here's what God has to say now, verse 23. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense. Thou shalt have plenty of silver. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty. Thou shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto Him, and He shall hear thee. Thou shalt pay thy vows. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. And the light shall shine upon thy ways. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, There is lifting up. And he shall save the humble person. He shall deliver the island of the innocent, and it is delivered by the pureness of thine hand. There's more than one prodigal. There's more than one prodigal. Lord, uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what we get to preach. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayers this morning already. And uh, Lord, the one that was saved at Calvary, we still pray for Sydney and for Andrew. Lord, that you might continue to work on them. And that, Lord, we would soon see them call upon you as Savior. Bless, Lord, our time together tonight. And Lord, we've, we've already mentioned several petitions and requests from a uh, Lord, uh, requests for uh, a man, Lord, who's having trouble with his heart and an advanced age. Would you help him? A, a, a Bible man, Lord, a man of God that's having difficulty with his health, that's had an impact on people in the auditorium and, and others, Lord, in college. We pray, Lord, you'd strengthen him for. Wisdom about vehicles. Wisdom, Lord, for families that are making wrong decisions. And really, Lord, in part, that's what a revival is about. It's about renewing our heart. and uh, Lord, getting, getting wisdom about things that we should do and reminders, Lord, of, of what needs to be done. And so, Lord, would you, would you help tonight to go well? May we, Lord, I, I, you know my heart. May we be expeditious as we go through the text and then make good application, Lord, in our hearts and our lives and that you'd be pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This evening you may be seated. Over the years, the Lord has allowed me to preach um, youth camps pretty much every summer. Uh, that's kind of 
one of the highlights of my year is getting to preach youth camps. And I was a youth pastor for several years before I became an associate pastor and then the pastor. And, and uh, there's just something about working with teenagers. I'm very good with them. You can see they're leaving right now. Um, no, I just enjoy working with teenagers. I enjoy preaching to teenagers. And you can be more blunt with teenagers than you can be with adults. And if you, you know, have a soda with them that afternoon, they'll forgive you and forget all about it and move on. And so it's, uh, uh, I mean, there's some people I offended in 1988 and they still remember it um, that are adults. But uh, anyhow, so I love preaching to teenagers. And there's, there is unofficially, there's a rule somewhere. I don't know where it's written down, but unofficially there's a rule. And that rule is this. Thou shalt preach on the prodigal at some point in youth, at youth camp. I mean, you're just, you got to preach on the prodigal. You got to go to Luke chapter 15. Even tonight, before church, I was listening to Brother Dave McCracken. He's preaching a missions conference for my best friend in Corning Baptist, or Central Baptist Church in Corning, New York. And he preached out of Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. We love the story of the prodigal son. Come on, we love the story of the prodigal son. The, the, the more I get that you grasp the story of the prodigal son, the more we can expedite the message and so on and so forth, okay? Uh, we love the story of the prodigal son, the story of a man that uh, uh, disappoints his father, crushes his father, and says, Give me the goods that falleth unto me. And so his father, the Bible says, divided into them all his living. And not many days after, he went into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And you know, the interesting story about the prodigal son, there's about one verse devoted to what he was doing in the far country. We just say, we just hear that it was riotous living. His brother accuses him of specific things later on, but the Bible just sums it all up in one, one verse, one statement that it was riotous living. Because you see, it doesn't really matter what you're doing in the far country. If you're not in the right country at the father's table, then we're wrong. And so sometimes we feel more justified than others that at least I'm not doing what they're doing. But if you're not sitting at the father's table enjoying fellowship with him, we're still a prodigal in heart in some way, shape, or form. And so uh, a very short verse about what he did in the far country, but the vast majority of the story is about what awaited him when he came home from the far country. The Bible says that when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and hugged him and kissed him and, and put a ring on his uh, uh, finger and shoes on his feet and killed the fatted calf and, and uh, they made meat and, and merry and, and it would rejoice. And the, the vast majority of the story is about what awaited the prodigal when he came home. In our text tonight, that is really what our text is about. There's a man by the name, and I mispronounced his name. When I memorized his name, I memorized it wrong, and I added an extra word in there, or an extra letter in there. It's Eliphaz, but I call him Eliphahaz. All right. So if you go, who is Eliphaz? It's Eliphaz. I just mispronounced it. And then I tried to correct it later on and I kept messing it up. So I'm just going to call it Eliphaz and you're going to acknowledge my mistake and then we're going to move on. All right. All right. So there's a man by the name of Eliphaz is the human author here. But by the time we get to Job 22, there's some things we need to understand about Job. This morning, Job did wonderful. Round one in chapter number one, Job did awesome. Round two in Job chapter two, uh, uh, he did awesome in fighting the devil. The devil comes and, and uh, touches his health. And, and then his wife says, curse, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And uh, he responds, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Uh, that's the last conversation they have, by the way, until the end of the book. Uh, uh, anyhow, there's hope for every marriage. But uh, uh, Job doesn't uh, finish his chapter 2, does well. Beginning in chapter 3, Job begins to become a very bitter man. And it's often missed. We often, because we're so pleased with him in chapters 1 and 2, we miss what he becomes uh, uh, beginning in chapter 3. And he actually says some of the most vile, repugnant things towards God as anybody does that's recorded in Scripture. In chapter number 9, uh, turn with me very quickly, chapter number 9, verse number 16, Job is talking about his relationship with the Lord. Chapter 9, verse number 16. He says, if I had called and he had answered me. So he says, if I prayed and God answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. 
For he, God, breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds. Now, time out. God can do whatever he wants to do, so that's not necessarily a problem. But listen to this next statement. He says, he multiplieth my wounds without cause. God has been unjust towards me. God has been harsh towards me. God has been severe to me. Verse number 18, he will not make me to take my breath but filleth me with bitterness. Job acknowledges that he's full of bitterness, but says that it's God's fault that he is. Come on, what happened to our hero here? He's, he has changed quite a bit. It doesn't take very long for us to get far away from the Lord. Chapter 10, verse number 1. My soul is weary of my life. Simplified, I want to die. Anytime as a believer, now trust me, I understand, I want to go home, I want to be, live with God, I want to be with the Lord, but there's something wrong with somebody saying, I, I'm weary of my life, I will leave my complaint upon myself, I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Again, Job is acknowledging he's bitter. Chapter 10, verse 8, Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou dost destroy me. He's blaming God for his current condition. He's blaming God for as he is. By the way, this continues throughout the book of Job until uh, later on he's able to get it right. Chapter number 19, verse number 10. Speaking of God again, Job speaking, he says, He, God, hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone. My hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and he counted me unto him as one of his enemies. Job actually says that God counts Job as an enemy. That's how far Job's gone. We're trying to cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. We just covered 20 chapters tonight, Miss Amethyst. That's a lot, isn't it? All right. And so what we're, what we're left with is this. Job is not right with God. Now, then Job has some friends, okay? And I'm going to use the theological term for his friends, knuckleheaded. All right, that's going to be our theological description of his friends with friends like these who needs enemies. All right, he's got three knuckleheaded friends that show up and begin to rebuke him and be begin to chastise him. In chapter number 22, it's Eliphaz's turn. All right, and he's making the case to Job. He says, Job, you're not right with God, but if you would get right with God, if you would come back to God, this is what would await you. This is what is waiting if you would come back and get right with God. Beginning now in verse number 23, as quickly as we can, let's look at what he says awaits those that would come back and get right with God. Verse 23, if thou return. So he says this is a choice that you have to make. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. He says, Job, the first thing I want you to understand is if you came back to God and you got right with God, God would take you where you're at and build you back up. He wouldn't tear you down. He wouldn't mock you. He wouldn't ridicule you. He wouldn't beat you all up. No, no, no. He'll take you where, you at, where you're at and he'll build you back up. Now, let's flash back to the story of the prodigal. The young man, in my mind's eye, again, that vivid imagination. He's left the, the pig pen. He's making his way back. He's rehearsing his speech in his head. I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned in thy sight and before heaven and in thy sight, excuse me, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he comes back and he says, Dad, I've sinned. Please forgive me. And the dad goes, well, let me tell you 27 reasons why you hurt me. Let me tell you 27 reasons why you're not worth forgiving. Let me tell you 27 reasons. Let me get something off my chest before. Is that the story? Is that, is that how the story goes? No, no. While he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and hugged him and kissed him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and, and killed the fat. Come on, it's a completely different thing. The father doesn't beat him up for everything that he did. Rather, the father welcomes him back and never even mentions what he did. The Father never even brings it up. I'm so thankful that when I come back to God and I get right with God and I want to have a relationship with God, 
He doesn't beat me up for everything that I have done, but rather he is a gentleman, he is kind and gracious, and takes me from where I am at, wherever that is along my life's journey, and builds me up to the next place. Now, I heard a message years ago by Brother Sam, and he said, a bruised reed will he not break, and a smoking flax will he not quench, a quoting prophecy of Jesus Christ. And what that means is Jesus Christ is a gentleman, a bruised reed. You've seen it in a pond, the, the little reeds that are sticking up. Uh, they're, they're, they look strong, but you can just walk over and snap them off. They're not very powerful at all. And if they're bruised, that means they're already damaged. They're, they would be so easy to break it. The Bible says Jesus is such a gentleman, a bruised reed will he not break. A smoking flax, that's a, a candle, and you've put out the candle, and there's just a little bit of a spark there, and the smoke is coming up from the, from the smoking flax. Most of us would, I mean, this is real spiritual, we go, you know, we'd put it, put it eliminate. He goes, no, a bruised reed will he not break, and a smoking flax will he not quench. It's just an irritant. It's not, he is so gentle, he is so kind, he is so compassionate. If we would come back to him wherever we are at, no matter what we have done, he would welcome us back and take us from that point and begin to build us up. What a wonderful God we serve. Come on, what a wonderful God we serve. By the way, there's a wonderful, significant lesson here for parents about how to treat their kids when their kids sin. No, no, and their kids come back. They don't need to be beat up. They don't need a scarlet letter A. They don't need to be held. Uh, 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 that held against them for the rest of their lives. Well, I know what you did and I know who you are and I know, no, 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 come on. We need to be willing to forgive people and help people and take them from where they are at and build them up to the next level. And he goes, Job, if you would come back to God, if you would come back to God, he would not beat you up, he would build you up. Come on, that's wonderful. That's wonderful tonight. Um, I'm more excited about this than you are. I know where we're going, so could you do this for me? Could you by faith agree to have a good attitude tonight? Okay, it's a good message. It's an exciting. I told you this morning. It's the it's my funnest message or my favorite message we get to preach this week. So number one, he says, uh, if you'd come back, you'd be built up. Love this. Reading on in verse number twenty four, thou shalt be built up. Built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Now, in the Bible, our tabernacles or our tent were often refer, referred to as our bodies. That's our, our physical condition. That's our, our tabernacle of this body, all right? And so, uh, life ahead says, Job, if you'd come back and get right with God, God would build you up. He wouldn't tear you down. He'd build you up. And He'll put away sin far from your tabernacles. Now, there's one negative part here. We just have to mention this because we need to do justice to the Scriptures as we preach. And that is this. Um, if you want to get right with God, you have to leave sin. The prodigal did not receive help and forgiveness while in the far country. No, no. The Bible word for that is repentance. We can't be living in sin, staying in sin, intending on sinning, and be forgiven for sin all at the same time. It does not work that way. I think this is just the easiest way I know how to illustrate it. I can't be smoking a cigarette while God forgives me for smoking. There needs to be an idea of a change of mind. No, no, no. It's not lordship salvation. We don't change and then, and then God helps us. But we have to be willing to change or God's not going to help us. We don't find forgiveness in the far country. Uh, years ago, I had a, a family in our church that, that was separated. And the, and the wife came to the altar one time. Uh, and, and my wife was dealing with her. And she says, I'm praying God restores my marriage. That sounded great. She was there that day on a date with another man. Now think about that. She's at the altar praying God restores her marriage while she's there at church on a date with another man. I'm just going to guess God didn't hear that prayer. Come on, come on. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There's no way that you can stay in the far country, live in the far country, act in the far country, and expect God to forgive you for what you're doing in the far country. No, 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 no. You've got to be willing to leave the far country to be forgiven. But when we're willing to leave the far country, God can put our iniquities far from our tabernacles. He can make that part of our past, not part of our future, not even part of our present where people recognize that about us or think about that about us, but He can have that be part of your past, not a part of who you really are. In fact, He is so good at that, He can completely transform your life. 
You can put, I love, I love. Come on, this we're, we're, we're not in redneck hillbilly bill, but, but we're close enough. You can see it from here. Come on, you can see it from here. You can see it from here. And I love how he put it. He says, uh, uh, far from your tabernacles. Far. And we'll get into more redneck hillbilly bill stuff later, later on. So I was door knocking several years ago, and, and uh, I knocked on a lady's door and gave her a track, and, and she wasn't real, real interested, and she started to close the door. And then she goes, wait, Calvary Baptist. She goes, is this Jesse Delgado's church? And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. Now, Jesse Delgado is a young man that came to our church, got saved at 18, and man, he got the full dose. He got, he got all of it. I mean, some people get saved, and then some people get saved. I mean, he got the, the second one. He got saved kind of thing, and deep voice saved. And uh, 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 complete, the Lord completely changed his life, and, and now he is our missionary out of our church in uh, Nakien, Argentina. Uh, the Lord's blessed him tremendously. And so uh, uh, she goes, are you, is that Jesse Delgado's church? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she comes out, of the, uh, comes out of the house, walks over and sits down, and she goes, please sit down. Tell me what you did to him. And long story short, she, was, she used a different term, but she was his guidance counselor at school. And she goes, he was always getting in trouble. He was smoking weed at school. He was getting in trouble at school. He had been suspended several times from school. It was his second time of his senior year. Come on. He had been in all. And she goes, and then he comes to your church, and now he's a completely different man. What did you do to him? And I said, we didn't do anything to him. Jesus did everything to him. And it was wonderful. No, 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 no. Because she's saying he's a completely different person. And now he's a missionary in Nakien, and he's preaching the gospel, and, and he's, got, he's married and has two kids. And, and it's, it's, to look at him now, you would never think of an 18-year-old kid that's doing drugs at school and getting kicked out and suspended and all that. Why? Because God can put sin far from your tabernacle. No, no, no. He can change the alcoholic. He can change the drunkard. He can change the prostitute. He can change the lascivious lifestyle. He can change the reputation that you've had in your past. If you will come back to him, he will build you up. He is capable of putting sin far from your tabernacle. When the prodigal came back, when the prodigal came back, we're not told the rest of the story. We understand that it's a parable. We're not told the rest of the story, but we're not left with the impression that sin was the, the, the far country sin was an ongoing problem. No, no, we're left to believe that God put that in the past and delivered him and spared him and completely changed his. Number three, got to hurt. Verse number 24. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust, and the gold of Ophir as stones of the brooks. There's blessings when you come back. We're, we're simplifying it. There's, there's, there's blessings when you come back. And he says the, the gold of, as dust and the gold of Ophir. Now, Ophir was a real city. I don't want to mislead anybody. Ophir was a real city. But when they refer to it, often it's, it's, it's almost mythological. It's like, uh, have you ever heard of the, the lost city of Atlantis? Or the, the mystery city of gold in, in South America. We've heard of these things. These are, these are legendary, just mythological kind of tales. That's what he's actually referring to here. It's like this mythological place that is so full of gold, it's like gold is dust. He goes, if you come back, God will bless you. Listen, there's blessings on the other side of sin. There's blessings in coming back into harmony and fellowship with the Lord. The young man comes back and uh, uh, the prodigal comes back and he says, make me as one of thy hired servants. And the father says, sure, we'll, we'll give you an outhouse and you can sleep out in the servant's court. Come on, is that what he says? No, no. He says, bring forth, love the verbiage, bring forth the best robe and put it on. He doesn't just get a robe, he gets the best robe. And then I even love this, he says, kill the fatted calf. The singular fatted calf. I believe with all my heart that the father had anticipation of the young man coming home. The father had already picked a cow, had already set it aside, had already, I don't know if the servants rubbed it every day like Kobe beef or something and, and made sure it was nice and tender, but nobody said, which calf are you talking about, master? We don't know. No, no, everybody knew which calf he had already set aside because God has blessings planned for you if you would come back and serve him 
The likes you can't even fathom or comprehend. Come on. He gave him the best robe. He gave him shoes. He gave him a ring symbolizing authority. He gave him the fatted calf. There is blessings on the other side of sin if we would just come back into harmony with Him. we got to hurry this evening. Alright? Yay. Verse number 25. We see the fourth thing. Not only is there blessings. Verse number 25. There's defense. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense. What an odd thing to say to someone. What an odd thing. Truly. I mean, think about it. If I'm, uh, I'm thinking of some young people in our church that had formerly served the Lord and are, are drifting in their faith right now. If I was talking to them and, and uh, one of them's name is Jesus. If I was talking to Jesus and I said, hey, listen, Jesus, you ought to come back and serve the Lord. If you came back and served the Lord, God would defend you. Kind of an odd statement to make. But why would he make that statement? Because God's a Baptist. What do you mean by that? I mean, God knows Baptists. And he knows, even at Valley Avenue Baptist Church, there's a strong likelihood if a prodigal came back, there would be someone that would be like, why are you here? Come on. And we're like, no, we wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that to the average person, but there might be somebody that if they came in, you'd be like, I don't trust them. I don't like them. Why are they here? Why do you think the story of the prodigal was even written? Was it really even written about the young man who went to the far country, the younger brother, and wasted his substance with riotous living? It was written about the older brother who stayed behind. And he was, in the story, he was super enthused about his brother coming back, right? I mean, he was really, really excited, and, and he said, we forgive you, brother, and welcome home. No, he doesn't. And so how does the story go? The older brother is unwilling to come in to the party and to celebrate. And so the father goes out and entreats him. And, and by the way, what a compassionate God. He goes out and he defends the younger brother. You know what's amazing? God is a pretty good defensive back. He's a pretty good defensive player. He, he, he really knows how to protect people. You go, well, if I came back, there would be people who would never forgive me. There would be people who would talk bad about me. There would be people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you let God handle that? God's pretty good at being a defensive person. God's pretty good. Remember the, 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 the lady caught in adultery and uh, uh, the men are getting ready to stone her and they bring her to Jesus and they say, the law says she should be stoned and what sayest thou? And, and Jesus just kind of ignores him. I love Jesus. It's so cool. Just kind of ignores him. Just keeps writing in the dirt. Looks up from the dirt. By the way, I've heard hundreds of messages and that's a lie. I've heard uh, several messages over the years on what he wrote in the dirt. You know what he wrote in the dirt? You have no idea what I'm writing in the dirt because I never told you what I'm writing in the dirt. That's what he wrote there on the dirt. And he looked, probably wrote it in English just to freak everybody out. And uh, he looked up and he said, he looked at the men that were standing around there and he goes, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And then he just kept plinking around in the dirt again. And from the oldest to the youngest, each one of them dropped their, dropped their rocks and walked away. And, and she turned, Jesus turns and, and looks at the young lady and says, where are these thine accusers? Who doth accuse thee? She says, no man, Lord. He goes, neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. Come on, boom, shakalaka. That's, that's defense right there. That's God standing up for you. I'm telling you tonight, you can, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, if you will come back to God and get right with God, God will step in an intervening role and be your defense and guard you. And He has a way. He has a way of shutting up those self-righteous, hypocritical people who want to run you down. He has a way of shutting them up. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's good stuff. I told you this was good. By faith. Are you starting to get it now? This is good, all right? Oh, here we get some redneck bill again. Verse 25. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Plenty of silver. Is you like how that's phrased? The King James Bible is so hard to understand. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, okay, so we've already talked about blessings. Now we've talked about gold. Now we've got silver. If you've got gold like dust, silver's just in the way. Come on, seriously. 
If, if you have a room in your house that is plumb full of $100 bills and somebody gives you a stack of $50 bills, they're just in the way. So he's not referring to monetary blessing here. Silver in the Bible is the price of redemption. This is slavery is horrible. I always feel obligated to say that slavery is horrible. But when someone was bought or sold, they were bartered and, and bought or sold with silver. It wasn't with gold. It wasn't with, with other money. It wasn't with other things. It was always with silver. Uh, Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. Slaves and so forth were bought and sold for silver. And so it is the price of purchasing someone. And so he tells them there's plenty of silver. What he's saying is God has more than enough righteousness to make up for whatever you've done wrong. There's plenty of silver. There's plenty of redemption. There's plenty of forgiveness. You go, well, Brother Park, I've done some wicked, vile things. There's plenty of forgiveness. There's plenty of redemption. There's plenty. No, no, uh, come on. Uh, have you ever gone somewhere to eat and maybe you were an unexpected guest and the, the lady of the house goes, don't worry, we have plenty? What she's saying is, there's going to be food left over. Whether you eat or don't eat, there's going to be food left over. Can I tell you, there's so much righteousness with God. No matter what you've done, there's going to be righteousness left over. He, he's got plenty of silver. He's got plenty of forgiveness. He's got plenty of help. Reading on, uh, number 6, verse number 26. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty. He goes, Job, if you'd come back and get right with God, um, you would enjoy God again. You would enjoy God again. Now, I love the Bible. love the Bible. I don't often do this, so please give me a little bit of grace on this. Um, I looked up that word delight in the Hebrew, all right, the Hebrew word. So that word delight means soft, pliable enjoyment. It, it carries with it the connotation, it's not a big, grandiose thing, it's just a simple thing. Maybe I could illustrate this. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. When we first got married, uh, I was a youth pastor, and so what we really loved to do, this is the weirdest, looking back, I'm old, okay, this was the weirdest thing to me now, but what we really liked to do was roller coasters. We loved roller coasters. We loved amusement parks. And so we mapped out like the best 10 rides in America and made it our goal to ride all 10 of those rides. I mean, we went up to New Jersey, we went down to Georgia, uh, I went to a King's Dominion uh, uh, in, in Maryland, we went to uh, um, Magic Mountain in California, Six Flags in Texas, Six Flags in St. Louis. I mean, we, we just went all over the place. I enjoyed it. Now if you gave me the choice between sitting in the backyard on our swing with a cup of coffee and maybe a donut and holding my wife and you gave her the, the option of just straight black coffee or the best amusement park in the world I'd rather sit in the backyard and just kind of like, yep, it's official, you're old. No, no, it's delighting in each other. We've reached a place in our marriage, we've reached a place in our life where we don't have to have the big fancy, we don't have to have the big glorious, we don't have to have the big glamorous. We can enjoy one another just one-on-one -on -one in the simple, quiet fact is that's even most of the time more enjoyable. You know what he's saying? If you come back and get right, you could enjoy revival, but you could enjoy the average Wednesday night. You could enjoy your devotions. You could enjoy the quiet times when it's just you and the Lord. It doesn't have to be this big, bad, uh, amazing, grandiose thing. It could be a very, very simplistic thing, and you'd still enjoy it. Verse 27. If you'd come back, remember, if thou return, verse 23, now verse 27, thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he shall hear thee. What a novel concept. Job, if you'd come back, if you'd get right with God, when you prayed, God would hear you. It's pretty simplistic. And we just kind of pass over it. But there is a significant thrill in life when you know you've prayed for something and God has answered that prayer. 
when you know you've prayed for it's wonderful whatever you prayed for that God did that but it's somehow even more wonderful or it's gooder that it's more best that God answered your prayer in doing it. So uh, uh, there's a, a young couple from our church that's now pastoring. Brandon Lynch is pastoring in, in uh, 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 it's something on another island, North Carolina. It's really funny. It's something on another island, even though there's no water anywhere near it. Um, but anyhow, he's pastoring there. And I was talking to him last week before last Sunday morning. And uh, he goes, Pastor, it's awesome. It's awesome. We've been praying. He said, we don't have a piano player in our church. We don't have a piano player. We have canned music. We play it over. And so we've been praying for a piano player. We've been praying for a piano player. And uh, he said this last week, a piano player came to our church. And we started talking. And she's going to join tomorrow. This is on Saturday. He's like, she's going to join church tomorrow. In fact, we're going to sing one song. And then she's going to join. That way then she can get on the piano and start playing the piano. And he's like, it's so exciting. We got a piano player. I said, Brand, uh, Brandon, what's more exciting? Did you have a piano player or that God answered your prayer? He goes, well, both. But the fact that God would listen to our prayers and answer, he says, that's just an amazing thing. It's wonderful. Listen, I've been on both sides. I've been where I prayed and prayed and I've said all the words and I, oh God, and please hear us and all those things and known that my prayer never left the room. Come on. And I've known what it is to be on the other side when you're right with him and you pray and he, he hears your prayers. Now listen, he's not a genie in the sky that just gives us everything that we want. But just knowing that he hears our prayers and responds to our prayers is, is amazing. And he shall hear thee. Next, verse number 28. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee. He said you'll be able to make a statement and actually follow through. You, you'll be able to make a statement and actually follow through. Uh, a preacher, I'm going to read through my Bible this year. And then you'll actually be able to follow through. Uh, I'm going to give X amount to missions. Come on, we just heard the missions report. And I'm actually going to follow through on that. I'm going to, by faith, give the missions. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to make that visit. And you make that visit. I'm going to get right with my wife. And you actually get right with your wife. I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a better dad. And, and, and though you're still a sinner, you actually try and you make the efforts to be a better dad. Come on. We all talk about teenagers who go to camp and make decisions and come home. And they're the same person when they come home as when they left. Just like two weeks later, they're right back to the same old thing. But adults do a lot of the same thing too. We go, Lord, I'm going to. Lord, I'm going to. Lord, I'm going to. And then they, and then they don't. By the way, we haven't been coordinating it back to the prodigal just for sake of time. But can I say everything that's happened? Uh, answered prayer. When he comes back and he says, make me as one of the hired servants. No, no, he didn't make him as a hired servant. He brought him back as a son. He answered his prayer. Delighting in the Almighty. I think the son enjoyed the father more uh, than he had in years and years. The Almighty being his defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just like God protected uh, uh, the younger brother, God protected Job again and uh to be able to commit a thing and it shall be established under thee. Decree a thing, excuse me, and it shall be established under thee. We'll slow down just here a little bit. Verse number 29, this one's my favorite one. When men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is lifting up. He goes, Job, if you'd come back and get right with God, someday you would run across the man that would say, it can't be done. And there's lines that have been crossed and they can't be fixed and they, they can't be repaired and they, and they can't be made right. And uh, it's just too much. He says, Job, then you'd be able to come alongside him and go, no, 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 no. I've been where you're at. And there is lifting up. There is hope. There is fix. There is repair. Wonderful. Many, many years ago, and I, I try to be vague about the details of this so people don't try to in the age of the internet, be a sleuth and track this individual down. But a young man came to me up at Silver State Baptist Youth Camp and, and uh, 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 confessed. He, he talked after church. He goes, Pastor, I'm, I'm addicted to pornography. I look at pornography constantly. And, 
his father happened to be at camp that week, and so uh, uh, it was a tough, tough thing to do. We sat down with the dad, and, and he confessed what's going on, and he, he got right, first of all, with his heavenly father, and then he got right with his earthly father, and then they began to set some things in place so as uh, to get victory over that. Come on, uh, it's a real problem. By the way, don't just look at me like I'm crazy, like the, this one outlier kid at youth camp has this one singular problem. No, no, there are statistics that would suggest that 80% of people in, in uh, conservative churches and evangelical churches, and I realize we're Baptist, not evangelical, but as much as 80% of men in evangelical churches look at pornography at least once a week. So let's not look at me like I'm crazy when I'm bringing this up. So we, we dealt with it, and, and he got right with the Lord. He got right with his dad, set some parameters in place. Now fast forward several years later. I'm on the campus of Heartland Baptist Bible College, and a kid yells at me, Park! Well, that's rare. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not Mr. Like sophisticate and you need to address me with like respect, but that is rare. That is a pastor you're walking across campus. And, and, and I turned and looked and it was this young man. And he goes, I called you Pastor Sutton like four times, but you didn't respond. And I was like, okay. So I slapped him and we, we started, and we didn't talk for 30 seconds. We didn't talk for 30 seconds. And he goes, ask me. I go, what? He was a student at Harlem. He goes, ask me. I go, ask you what? He goes, you, you know me. You know me. I said, how are you doing on your pornography? He said, not one time. From that day to this, not one time. Hallelujah. You know what that young man's going to be able to do when he was a, works as a youth pastor, when he works as a, as a pastor, when he's a, he's a missionary? He's going to talk to some young man. He's going to talk to some old man who says, I, I'm addicted to this. I've got a problem with this. I can't get victory over this. And he goes, no, no, there is lifting up. There is, a, there is a way out of this. There is victory over this. God can bless you in this. There, we don't need to brag about our sin. We need to be very, very careful that we not brag about our sin and brag about our past. But we also ought to be willing to be open with our sin and open with our past and how God has brought us through that and there is victory on the other side of it. And when people are cast down and people are going, I can't get through this in my marriage. Would to God there be some older couples who'd come alongside them and go, no, no, you can't. We were right where you're at. We've been right where you're where you've sat. We've gone through those same struggles and God has brought us through that. And he brought us through that he can bring you through come on that's just good stuff it's just good stuff <laughs> lastly by the way this is lastly in our introduction Amen. this is all introduction right? verse number 30 if thou return verse number 30 he shall deliver the island of the innocent and it is delivered by the pureness of thine hands god is the only one that does the saving God is the only one that, Jesus Christ is the only one that can save. Uh, Valley Avenue Baptist Church cannot save you. Uh, Pastor Barry cannot save you. Um, religion cannot save you. Good works cannot save you. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. So go back. He shall deliver the island of the innocent. It's God that declares someone innocent. It's God that does the work. But, or and, it is delivered by the pureness of thine hands. God's going to use you to do it. God's going to use you to do it. So this morning, you heard Pastor mention tonight that we had a young man by the name of Skyler saved at our church. And uh, he's been coming for a while and, and uh, uh, lost. He's got tattoos all the way around his neck up here. And uh, it's just it's an awesome story. Anyhow, uh, uh, Tyler came this morning to church and uh, with his brother Andrew and uh, Andrew's girlfriend, Sydney. And, and uh, uh, all three came forward in the invitation. And Andrew and Sydney haven't gotten saved yet. They're close. Uh, but Skyler did get saved today and we're thrilled with that. Now, who did the saving? God, Jesus did the saving. He's the only one who can do the saving. I mean, absolutely, unequivocally, he's the only one that can do the saving. But they didn't just come forward and suddenly stand there and God goes, okay, you're saved. No, he used people. He used Brother Jones, who was preaching this morning and had his message connect. And by the way, I'm a little upset that 
I've been preaching at these guys for all these weeks, and then he just comes. Yeah, anyhow. Um, and so they get saved uh, uh, through, through the preaching, uh, being convicted by the preaching of Brother Jones. And then Brother Christian, our youth pastor, is the one that dealt with Skyler. And, and uh, uh, my wife dealt with Sydney. And, and so God uses people to affect salvation that only He can bring. Come on. God's not just going to make you saved. Calvinism's garbage. Okay? God's not just going to make you saved. You have to choose to be saved. And there must be someone who witnesses to you. How can they hear without a preacher? How can they be saved? And who, how can they call on Him in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And he says, Job, if you'd come back and get right, God could use you again. He could, he could deliver people because He can do that, but He would use you to do it. It would happen by the pureness of your hands, by the work of your hands, by your effort. Job, if you would come back, there's... It's wonderful if you could come back. It's wonderful. It's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. In fact, I challenged somebody. I preached this at a youth camp one time, and I, I challenged the, the, the kids that were there, the pastors and pastors. I said, find me eight verses in the Bible that would speak more to God's mercy and His grace than these eight consecutive verses. Find me eight consecutive verses that would that would speak more to the goodness and grace and wonder of God than these eight consecutive verses. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Where he's saying to Job, you can come back. And if you would come back, this is all that awaits you. Just like the story of the prophet. So let's make some application and we'll be done. Have you ever experienced this? What do you? Well, do you think it's possible to experience those ten things from those eight verses and not remember it? I would say if you don't remember that, I mean that's very very odd. Come on. Simplified, we could say this way: When did you get saved? Because that's what happened when you got saved. No, no. When you got saved, God put iniquity far from your tabernacle. When you got saved, you got blessings. You got a you got a home in heaven. When you got saved, God took you from where you're at and He built you up. He didn't He didn't tear you down. When you got saved, Jesus Himself stood as your defense. When, when you got saved, all the things that we you heard prayer, He heard your prayers. I mean, all the things we just preached that happened the moment in time that you got saved. And if you've never experienced that, then can I tell you, you're not saved. Well, Brother Park, you don't understand. I I prayed a prayer. I, I'm not dismissive of prayer. I understand that's how we talk to God. But no one gets saved by praying a prayer. You get saved by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Now we access Him by prayer. I understand that. I'm not minimizing prayer. Uh, nor am I one of the ones that say if you didn't hold your hand just right or say the exact right words. No, because God sees your heart. God is, God is interested in your heart. But uh, there's a yeah, Jesus said there was a whole group of people that came to Him and said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name done many marvelous works. Then will I say unto them, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You're not saved just because your parents are saved. You're not saved because you're a Republican. You're not saved because you're an American. You're not saved because you're a member of an independent Baptist church. You're saved because there was a time when you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've done everything else but that, you're not saved. And if you've done nothing else but that, you are saved. So when did that happen? I was talking to a young man years ago. I coached basketball for several years at a public school and, and uh, uh was asked to speak to this young man. There's some problems going on in the home. So I was talking to him. I said, when did you get saved? And Isaac said, uh, well, I've just kind of always been saved. 
I was like, no, Isaac, that's not how it works. And, but when did, when did you make your decision for Christ? And he goes, well, I, I don't remember. I just forget. You know, and, and I said, Isaac, his favorite player was LeBron James. And I said, Isaac, just pretend, for whatever reason, LeBron James moved into your house and, and lived with you for a time. Like, I mean, he's sleeping on your bunk bed. You know, his legs are dangling off the top bunk. And, I mean, he's, he's living in your house. He's drinking, drinking your milk out of your fridge. And, you know, I said, do you ever think you would forget the week that LeBron James lived with you? And he goes, man, how could you forget that King James moved into your house? And I said, how could you forget the week King Jesus moved into your heart? And I'm telling you, if you've never experienced that, I beg of you to contemplate whether or not you really are saved. Number two, you need to come home. You need to come back to him. You get right with him. Brother Park, you don't understand where I've been. No, no, no. I don't, but God does. And he still welcomes you home. Because it's not about what happens in the far country. It's about how good he is when you come back home. Come on, the whole story. The whole story is nothing about the far country and everything about what awaits when he comes home from the far. But the park, I mean, really, do you think as a prodigal, I would be in church on a Sunday night of revival? I mean, come on. No, no, no. Remember, again, the story of the prodigal wasn't really about the prodigal. The story of the prodigal was just to illustrate to the older brother how he was the true prodigal sitting at his father's table, but dreaming of the far country, sitting at his father's table, but no real communication. No, no, no. The point of the story is not about the younger brother. The point of the story is the older brother who week after week, service after service, sat in the house of his father with no fellowship and communication with him. Come on. No, no. When he, when he argued with his dad, he didn't say, uh, 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 I love you, I serve you, we're close. He says, uh, at no time transgressed I thy commandment. Thou never kills for me the fatted calf. Come on. He's lying and exaggerating, thinking he's right, when he knows in his heart he doesn't have a relationship with the Father. You're not right tonight because you have a Baptist tie on. You're right tonight because your heart is right with God. You need to come home. Come home. Come home. Well, I don't really want to admit. You don't have to admit it to everybody. You've got to admit it to the Lord. And then come home. Thirdly, and, and truly now, not even Baptistly, we're done. This is this is this is. How many of you have ever heard a message out of this passage, Job twenty-two? You've ever heard a message out of this passage, Job twenty-two? Got one young man, two young men, maybe three young men, uh, four. Uh-huh. How many would say that? I mean, it's on par as far as popularity, not 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 merit, but popularity. That that Job twenty-two is just as popular as Luke fifteen in the story of the prodigal. How many would say Job twenty-two is just as popular? would say it's just popular. I mean, we've never really... I mean, if I said it at youth camp, turn to Luke chapter 15, every pastor there is like, ah, he preached it on the prodigal. If I say turn to Job 22, he's like, we know Job 1, we know Job twenty or Job chapter 2, we know the last chapter in Job, that's really it. The rest is just like complaining. Come on, come on. It's not... can, I, can I tell you why? No, no, come on. There's not. I challenge you. I'll, I'll give you the same challenge. You find me eight consecutive verses that I'll use bad grammar, that are more better than these eight consecutive verses. I tell you, I, I, I'm not aware of eight consecutive verses in the Bible that, that speak more to the goodness and wonder of God in His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. So why don't we preach out of Job 22? Turn back to Job 22 and verse number 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, We don't preach Job 22 
because of who said Job 22. Now let's first establish this. Everything in Job 22 is right. The story of Luke 15 backs that up. The story of Luke 15 proves that. That, that, that if we'd come back, he'd have mercy, he would forgive, he'd be our defense. The story of Luke chapter 15 validates everything that's said in, Luke, in, in, in Job 22. But Job 22, Eliphaz has said it. And Eliphaz is a knucklehead. Eliphaz is a jerk. Eliphaz is a hypocrite. And so it's quite possible that the reason why we don't preach out of Job 22 is because the guy who said it, even though he was right, had such little character and had such little walk with God it put a big question mark over the message. So here's our final application tonight, and really the primary application of this message tonight, and that would be this. I wonder how many times I have said the right things to people, but they questioned the validity of it because of how I was living my life. I wonder how many times I've told people that they could be saved, that they could be forgiven, but the way I live my life put a big question mark there when there should have been an exclamation point there. I wonder if when I, when I tell my kids, hold, hold on, when I tell my kids it's worth it to serve God and it's a joy to serve the Lord and, and it's a blessing to, to be faithful to Him and God will always be faithful to you and it's wonderful. I, I wonder if because it's me that says it and they, my kids know me more than probably anybody else but my wife, my kids would say, well, I don't really see that. Come on. Where they question, come on, they question the message because of the messenger. I wonder how many times at work we tell people, oh, you should come to church and, and Jesus can fix your life and Jesus can help you with your alcoholism and Jesus can help your marriage and Jesus can, can fix your pornography addiction. But they question that, not because they question Jesus, not because they question, they question the truth of the message because of the life of the messenger. Come on. And I desperately want to live a life where when I preach Job 22, when I state Job 22, people believe it, or at the very least, they don't question it because of how I live my life. A life that has in Job 22 is the older brother in Luke 15. He's the person who outwardly is saying and doing everything right, but inwardly he's completely different. He's completely There's a lot of prodigals out here. No, 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 no. In Falls City, Nebraska, and surrounding areas, there's, there's a lot of prodigals. There's a lot of people who need to come back to God. There's a lot of people who need to come to know God. And they need to hear Job 22 preached by you to them. That if you would come back, listen, you come into our church with a neck tattoo, we're going to love you. We're going to love you. We're going we're to help you. No, 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 we're going to help you. We're also going to advise the next generation not get one. But we're going to love you and help you and restore. Come on. We're going to take you from where you're at and build you up. We're going to preach Jesus Christ to you. We're going to show his love to you. The world needs to hear that. And they need to hear it from people that actually live it out there. And in my estimation, one of the greatest passages of Scripture that should be up there with the 23rd Psalm, that should be up there with John 14, that should be up there with John 3.16, this should be that kind of passage. It gets dismissed because the speaker was a hypocrite. Have you ever experienced it? You need to come home. Or does the message get lost because of how you live your life? Heads bowed tonight and eyes closed. Thank you so much for your attentiveness this evening. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that this is true. Lord, thank you that, that you're a God that delights in mercy. You, you delight in forgiveness. You delight in restoration. 
Lord, uh, uh, Micah even, even talks about that you delight in, in giving mercy. You don't, you don't give it begrudgingly. You, you enjoy giving mercy. You, you enjoy forgiving. Lord, I, I pray tonight that, that whatever aspect of the message, Lord, would speak to the different people in the room. And, and Lord, Your Word is going to, it's the truth to all, but it applies differently. For some tonight, they need to know that they can come back. They need to know that there's hope. They need to know that there's forgiveness. They, they need to know that, that, Lord, there is rising up. That, that, that they can be different. For others tonight, Lord, maybe they recognize they've never experienced this. They've never been saved. And then, Lord, tonight I pray that You'd help us to live our lives in such a way that people believe this text. Lord, that as they look in us, they see forgiveness in us. They see defense in us. They see restoration in us. They see help in us. And Lord, again, we don't save anyone. We can't change anyone. But we can introduce them to the ones who absolutely can. I pray You would help us as we respond to this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We stand this evening.